Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. Another installment of Flick City. Here is my interview with Asher Levin. He's a director. Yes, his name is Asher Levin. He is the director behind this new movie called Dig. It stars Thomas Jane and Emile Hirsch. I love both of these actors. I, I'm a huge Thomas Jane and Emile Hirsch fan. If I see their names in a movie, I'm going to watch it. Most likely, I am going to watch it. There's still a lot of Thomas Jane movies and Emile Hirsch films I have yet to see. I forgot the name of the Emile Hirsch film that I'm supposed to. I think it's called Never Grow Old or something. Never. So there's an Emile Hirsch Western that I've been meaning to watch for years on end now. And I, I think it came out several years ago. Really want to see that. But I really love Thomas Jane and Emile Hirsch. They are the leads in this movie called Dig. And it also stars Thomas Jane's daughter, Harlow Jane, who's actually pretty, pretty good in this movie as well. And Liana Liberato. And she's very good as well in this movie too. So it's really a four-person genre thriller that I really, this is right up my alley. I love these pretty much these enclosed space type of thrillers. And in many ways, it's enclosed space because much of it is set in the, in a house, but the actual location itself is pretty much sprawling. It's set in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And the plot line centers on Thomas Jane plays this guy named Steve Brennan. And he's um he's a widower who lost his wife in a in an incident of road rage some years back, and that road rage incident also not only did his wife die from that incident, but his daughter Jane, played by Harlow Jane, she yeah Jane Jane became deaf from that experience. So it's obviously a a very tragic incident that understandably the father and daughter are not getting over. It's very very hard for them to move on. They're obviously their relationship has been altered in a very negative fashion, especially with the loss of their uh, loss of his wife and the loss of her mother. So that's the, that's where the movie starts off. Steve Brennan is hired by this mysterious dude with uh, Emile Hirsch is sporting a very uh, hilariously horrible Southern accent in this movie. I think it's for comedic purposes. He's pretty much this sort of this villain, the antagonist in the movie. And I really like Emil Hirsch's accent. It's just really not, I don't know if it's accurate or not it or convincing. I just think he's really good. He's, I, I don't want to say campy, but for me, I, I took it in a very humorous fashion, but he's a bad guy in this movie. And what happens is his character, Emil Hirsch's character, he hires Steve Brennan, the, the, the protagonist played by Thomas Jane, to demolish the house that he owns, okay? So Steve Brennan has a very high-paying job to demolish this house out in the middle of nowhere in Las Cruces. He brings along his daughter Jane with him to help for that demolition along with another co-worker, another worker, contractor. Liana Liberato is the woman who is the girlfriend of the bad guy played by Emil Hirsch. And you realize once... Steve Brennan's character ultimately realizes that this house that he's set to demolish and get a lot of money, it's, you know, sometimes when there's a high paying job and things look a little bit fishy or shady, you might as well get out of there. It's too late for him to get out of there as he and his daughter are very, are pretty much in the teeth of danger with this really criminal, with this criminal couple, again, played by Emile Hirsch and Leanna Librato. And that's the premise of Dig. It is. I'm, look, I'm looking at the at the how long this movie is. It's around a 90 minute movie. It doesn't say here on the press release, but I really enjoyed it. I so I was excited to interview the director Ash Levin. These movies remind me of the way film noirs and dramas were shot in the late 40s and 50s under a studio reign, and you would have these directors. They're working within a a certain kind of budget and a schedule. 
And they would make really interesting B movies. And I say B movies in a, not in a pejorative sense. I'm a huge fan of B movies because within that realm, within that structure, there's a lot of really cool things you can do with it. So B level films, including movies like Dig are right up my alley. I really enjoyed this for a lot. For, you know, I mentioned Emil Hirsch's accent in the movie. There are some really good action sequences. There is, I also talk in the interview with Ashley Levin about a really interesting chase sequence that he's, he's doing with a very limited budget and it looked really well executed. It's a really well done movie. It's in theaters on digital and on demand September 23rd. Again, it's called Dig. Would love to hear what you guys think of this movie if you see it in theaters or I think a lot of you will maybe give it a chance, a shot on digital and on demand. A couple of things. If you are a fan of Thomas Jane and or Emil Hirsch, this is worth watching because they're both very, very good in this. It's also interesting to see Harlow Jane, who I've never, I don't think I've ever seen her before. She's a talented actress and Liana Liberato. There's a movie she did that I, I'm going to look it up right now that I really love. It was, she, it was released several years ago and she was fantastic in this. After watching this, I suggest you watch that movie as well, but she plays, I mean, it's, it, it's a one note character in a sense because that's what the character is supposed to be. She's just an overall evil kind of human being and she, she plays it with abandon. So she has some really good scenes as well. And here, what was the movie that Liana Liberato was in that I absolutely fell in love with? This was back in, yeah, she was the lead in this movie called To the Stars, an indie drama To the Stars, which also stars Kara Hayward, I believe. And also it was directed by Martha Stevens. So, oh, actually it says right here, To the Stars is available, available to watch on Prime Video. So that's a really cool film and hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, some of you will, or maybe a couple of you will follow some of my instruction to go see To the Stars. Very wonderful drama. And Juliana's wonderful in this, in that. And she's very good in this movie as well. What I really enjoyed about Dig is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's a, it's a first rate thriller working within the confines of a B movie level type of structure. And Thomas Jane and is very, very good as a guy who's, who's understandably in over his head. He and his daughter are pretty much knocking on death's door. What are they going to do to escape this predicament where Emile Hirsch and Liana Liberato's character, they simply pretty much want to kill them off once the demolition is done. Once they do a dig, there is something inside the house or maybe at the bottom of the house that they want to get rid of. So I'm not going to tell you or spoil what's under this quote unquote dig that Harlow Jane and Thomas Jane have to dig through to get. And who knows, once they find what's at the bottom, who knows, they might be killed. So that is a premise of dig. For me, this is a rating. This is a four out of five star rating for me as again, as a B level movie thriller directed with some panache uh, amidst all of the, uh, the budget constraints. And I'm sure the schedule constraints of Ash 11. These are the type of movies that I really love. And I'm glad it was executed to hold on one second. <coughs> it was pretty much executed to perfection. So loved, loved all these actors and hopefully I'll get to see more of these actors working within the same level because Ashra Levin, he's an interesting filmmaker. He, he mentioned Robert Altman in the interview and I also mentioned that he, he likes actually working with the same kind of troupe of characters. So hopefully there will be some sort of configuration where all of these actors will work in different projects down the road because 
And I actually have to see more of Asher's work. This is the first movie of his that I've seen. This is being dig, but I'm looking at his IMDb, and I think he's worked with Emil Hirsch quite a bit over the years as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, dig. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think of this interview. And before the interview starts, you're going to get a sort of a two-minute audio clip, which is the trailer of Dig. So you get a little bit of sound effects as well. Last thing is me and Anderson, we will be doing our Cinematics Patreon next week. We're going to be covering this Larissa Shepetko-directed film called The Ascent, and as well as a John Frankenheimer-directed movie called Black Sunday. Okay. So I've already seen the scent. Love that movie, but I still have to watch Black Sunday. Check us out on our cinem- cinematics Patreon and also subscribe to our cinematics YouTube channel. I will put the link in our notes because I will be pulling more video clips of me and Anderson doing some movie recommendations on our cinematics podcast, as well as some clips from our buddies, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky from the Find Your Film podcast. I do with them as well on a weekly basis. So please subscribe, support us over at the Cinematics YouTube channel or Patreon or you know what? All of that stuff, most importantly, reach out to me. I'm a, I'm a lonely podcaster. Give me some movie recommendations. Tell me if I'm bleeping wrong about Dig. Want to hear your thoughts. All right, guys. Thanks again for all your um, consideration and support over the years with cinematics. Take care. Enjoy this interview with Asher Levin. Bye. I heard you are the man in town to talk to for a strip and a demo, Mr. Brennan. I have a client in need of a quick turnaround. Don't give me that look, Jane. It's good money. This could really help get close to that procedure, you know? A little hard work, do you some good. Could be fun. Hey! Y'all playing hide and seek? to yank her around she don't listen too well it's because she can't hear listen your lives for what's underneath the ground you're seriously not keeping them alive are you now that everybody's wide awake we dig what's gonna happen to us stop talking to her like that eh does she read lips I promise you, when the time comes, I'll make it quick and painless. Run! Help! I feel like we got off on the wrong foot. Just let us go. Get your dirty hands off my kid. Get back! Run! No! Just missed. Everybody's killed if they get the chance. I want to know why us. <laughs> First off, Asher, this is. Very interesting because within the span of two months, uh, two months, you have two movies coming out. What is, what is this like for you? It's not you know, two movies. It's actually three. There's a third movie that's coming out in December, January. It is very weird. I went is, from having no movies to having a lot of movies. 
Okay. <laughs> In layman's terms, how did that, is it just timing? How did, how did that work out? So I'm going to try to be concise because I, the last interview I was long and I know I, I'm, I started as a writer, so I'm a little long winded. Um, I started out as a filmmaker in 19 and then I ended up uh, doing a bunch of other stuff, including running a big teen media company, ironically, because none of the movies that I do are like that. And um, I was, I learned about scale uh, in the digital world. (laughs) And so production wise um, I could do stuff pretty fast and efficiently. Um, The minute that I left my company and, Oh, sorry. One second, one second. Sorry guys. Yeah, no worries. Uh, sorry. Hi. Um, so, uh, so yeah, once I left, um, I kind of kept the same blue collar mentality to filmmaking. And when I was lucky enough to start making movies again, uh, like 10 years later, um, I didn't want to stop. So we made this movie called Slayers. Uh, that was about eight months after I had finished up my run running a bunch of shows from Snapchat originals. Um, and, uh, got my friends in it. We did Slayers while I was in post on Slayers. My producing partner, Daniel got me involved, got me the script. Uh, we, I had just worked with Thomas Jane on Slayers. His daughter was in it. And, um, and then I came onto that project, this project, um, uh, pretty late in the game, to be honest. Uh, we brought, I brought in a meal and then I brought in Liana. Uh, and then it was like six, six weeks of uh, literally from the time I decided to direct this was six weeks until I was on the ground. Um, The movie, I don't really know. Maybe it was because I didn't have any time to think. I think the movie's great. Um, And I don't say that about a lot of stuff, but I think it came out. The performances were really good. And, uh, and I just kind of knew in, in instinctually on this film, what to do. I don't, I can't give you an answer why Uh, I'm a big fan of these kind of movies. Uh, And then the third movie, just a final answer uh, which is, uh, called Helen's dead, which I did with a meal as well. So it's kind of mystery comedy. Um, once I had done two, then I was like, shit, I got to make another movie in the next six months. Uh, so then I made, uh, that film in December and now I am prepping to do two movies in a row, one in five weeks and then one in January. So Asher, I biasly really pull for filmmakers like you because you remind me of these throwback filmmakers from back in the day, uh, from the 40s and 50s, even though they worked within the studio system, they were able to turn out some really interesting genre product, because even though they're part of the system, they're putting their own stamp in each of the projects they do. Do you ever feel some kind of kinship to filmmakers? I so appreciate that. And and the answer is yes. You know, <clears throat> I mean, I obviously love new Hollywood filmmakers uh, from the 70s. Um, and and their roots in the the Roger Corman system, but they all sort of go. Even the Corman stuff goes back to studio system stuff. When I founded my uh, YA digital company Brat, which is still going now, it's a very different kind of of, of thing. Uh, my partner Rob and I had talked a lot about studio system filmmaking. Uh, I mean, we made we made shitty little teen uh, you know shows, shows and stuff, but it, the idea was the same. We gotta you know a big school campus. We shot three things at the same time. I was, I was over a few of them, you know, we had actors who were in different things and they were kind of like, you know, players, you know, studio players and stuff. And I love all of that because I think that what people miss today is that other than guys like Soderbergh and, and Flanagan, I'd say Soderbergh and Flanagan are like my, are, are my two guys when it comes to that. Um, is that it's great to make a movie every four years 
Um, but the people that make a movie every four years who are influenced by people who did not. Um, Howard Hawks, uh, even Kubrick early, uh, you know, Billy Wilder, uh, Elix Zan, um, on the, on the European side of things, Godard, Truffaut, Fellini. These guys are pumping out two, three movies a year. And if you look at the early films of Scorsese and Spielberg, they're doing two a year. Soderbergh does two a year. I mean, if, if you love making movies, if you like being on set, um, I am a reluctant writer. Uh, so I don't like to sit for six months writing a script. I'd rather get a script, work on it a little bit, and then be on the ground and working with actors and working with cinematographers, working with my editor. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would love to, to sort of carry the torch of the forties and fifties genre people and even the independent names like Sam Fuller. Um, you know, because, uh, those, you know, though, and, and by the way, Hitchcock who made three movies a year for <laughs> until he was in his, his 50s, you know? By the way, Asher, my microphone is being held by a book by uh, Sam Fuller. It's, oh, I love uh, it. That's <laughs> so great. Just, yeah. Uh, We're wa- I'm watching Fuller movies. Uh, I watched uh, Millie's Dillinger. Um, I, it's, a, it's very much an independent style biopic. By the way, the other director, we can come back to this, the other director that people don't talk about a lot, which is kind of funny, uh, you know, as you know, Paul Thomas Anderson loves to talk about Altman uh, as a cheap influence. Um, I don't consider him a cheap stylistic influence, but his career path, I think, is influential because Altman was making two to three movies a year for quite a while. And he made comedies and he made mysteries and he made action films. He made genre movies. He made kid movies. He made all different types of movies and anything he can get his hand on. And up until he was much, much older, um, he was doing at least one to two a year regularly and i think that is because he started with playhouse 90 and uh and and television uh and was was used to the the sort of hey let's just all get in a room and say our lines and figure out the you know that stuff and and uh and and, and there's so many more too you know so it, it's it's it, it's it's a great legacy well on that altman tip you're also in a way i think from what i'm gathering you're you're gathering your own troop of actors within your ensemble is that i guess maybe influenced by altman or maybe just your own aesthetic where you're like these are the people who are going to ride with me for these productions and i'm just going to have them on for all the different genres i face i mean is that an advantage by the way 100% uh i am a very specific kind of filmmaker i've learned uh, in the last few years uh, i like to talk to actors during takes um, I like to, you know, play around with the dialogue if it's not working in the middle of the take. Uh, I don't do notes after takes. Um, some actors, it takes a second to figure it out. Um, I'm super collaborative with my talent and, uh, and, and I'm also for someone who's works a lot with on the performance side of things. I'm also very hands on, uh, on the, on the physical production side of stuff because I started, I, I worked for so many years as a producer as well. So I think having a troop is, is ideal. And, um, you know, Thomas and Emil, obviously I've done, I've done and I'm doing lots of work with. Um, Thomas is a incredible character actor by way of movie star to work with. And Emil is a masterclass actor studio style actor that can pretty much do anything. Um, and, uh, and I know what I'm getting with them. So I do uh, a lot of takes, uh, not a lot of takes, sorry. I do a lot of, of setups. I don't do a lot of takes. 
uh, I do two, three takes and maybe 20 setups a scene. Um, so for actors, they need to understand when they're walking in that if I don't get it on one side, I'll get it on the other, or that they need to get it right on every side, you know? Um, <laughs> it's sort of the Clint Eastwood uh, model. You know, I, I'm not going to not going to do four, five, six takes and not have enough coverage for my movies. So, um, and that's kind of going back to the golden age of Hollywood stuff too. I mean, those those filmmakers were like, okay, we're not. I'm, I, we're doing it this way. You come to set. I do rehearsals before. I always do rehearsals before, even on genre films. You know, which is kind of unheard of. Um, because I want everybody to get there and kind of be ready to go. And and then the other person that I would say is the chief influence uh, is Phil Jackson uh, because I'm a huge basketball fan and Phil uh, would get everything so ready beforehand with the, with his team that on, that when they were actually playing, he could be really flexible as to what the play was going to be, who was going to run the play, you know, how the, the it was going to look with whatever the opposition is. And, you know, when you're on set, there's opposition all the time. So you need to be flexible. Speaking of opposition, I, just from a cinephile standpoint, I'm, I'm looking at your, at your locations. I'm, I'm thinking New Mexico, seemingly unforgivable landscape. What's there is no Four Seasons right across the street, or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming craft services and is in some kind of air conditioned room. What is the what is the big challenge Uh when you when you actually it depends on the movie. It depends on the movie, Greg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some places in New Mexico are gorgeous. Fair. I, I honestly, uh, you know, Las Cruces is a beautiful place and had some fun places. But it, you know, I you go uh, the the crafty was great, and and uh, you know, when I went back, I'm an LA guy. I you know found a Sprouts and ate some organic food when I could. Uh, but I got pretty pretty used to fast food and fast casual as well. There's a good barbecue place right down the way from. Where we were staying. Um, uh, I, I think that it's uh, growing up in LA and then being in New York for a while, uh, being able to go to New Mexico to make movies is actually a release. Um, I love, uh, love desert sprawl. And, um, and it's, an, and that's just in Las Cruces. And when you go up to Albuquerque and Santa Fe and whatnot, you're in the mountains over there. So it's very different over there. Albuquerque is very metropolitan and Santa Fe is a resort town. We did Helen's dead in Santa Fe, which we shot in December. Uh, for a week and a half, I think I was there alone for a week. And my wife would say, how's it going? Oh, I'm at this Michelin star restaurant. I'm going to this uh, fancy coffee place. And it's like Portland up there. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to find a state, you know, that's not your state that you can go to. And as everybody knows, the film business is just so huge in New Mexico. Yeah, I think in your credits you mentioned Clint Eastwood. You also mentioned Freakin. One of my favorite Freakin films is Sorcerer. And oh yeah, uh, for your film, was it a scary day when you actually I don't know you're picking up the cameras and there's that really elaborate chase sequence down the road and you know there's that running sequence. It, it's so beautifully done. Was that a very I nervous appreciate day? that. Yeah. It was not. It was like the most fun day of the shoot. Um, I, as much as I love dialogue, I think I, I might love those kind of set pieces a little bit more, even, um, instinctually, uh, there's the, that and the, uh, the inspector sequence are my two favorite sequences in the film. Um, because there's a lot of pieces to them. And as someone who likes to shoot a lot of different things for a scene, it's fun. Uh, my brain moves really fast. Um, and that was really fun. We got on the back of a pickup truck and shot a lot of that stuff. And then uh, we had a drone and uh, the place we shot had this huge expanse as a ranch and around it, there were all these sort of uh, back roads and stuff. 
And so um, we shot that sequence in two, two or three days because I wanted to make sure it was like a magic hour into night thing. So we would shoot one side and then we would go back and we'd shoot the other side another day and stuff like that. We did that a lot actually in the film. That um, uh, Some of the early morning stuff in the middle of the movie we shot, I think over two or three days, my cinematographer, Stephen and I, I really wanted the magic hour look for the whole movie. So it felt like it was kind of a nightmare dream. Um, so you'll notice that the beginning of the movie is much more grounded in time. And then as the movie sort of devolves, uh, you, it's hard to know until it really hits night what it, time of day. It's very disorienting for a good deal of the film. Um, and uh, and that was in the script, too. It was baked in the script, too. But I really loved that. Um, I did a job up in Alaska once and uh, the lights didn't go down. And it was it was pretty disorienting. Um, but, yeah, you know, those days are the best, man, because I don't have to. You know, I could just go off my shot list and um, I don't storyboard really. Uh, So so for all those sequences you saw in there, it was just me just writing a lot of very specific descriptions and working hand in hand with my cinematographer on the film. My final question is just, you know, we're we're talking about so many different movies and this is going to be probably the hardest question. But right Mm -hmm. off the top of your head, can you can you name one of your all time favorite movies? And what is it about this specific film that that really resonates with you today? Um. Well, I can just tell you my two favorite movies are Goodfellas and Die Hard. Um, and I think they're probably informative to who I am as a filmmaker because Goodfellas, obviously there's, there's Scorsese influences in, in this film. There's a couple of sequences that are, you know, pretty cribbed. Um, uh, and, and not just the obvious Scorsese films, but also, you know, movies like After Hours and, um, uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. And, and, and some of the, some of the, uh, you know, bring out the dead and, and other films like that. Um, and then, uh, Die Hard, uh, I just think it's a perfect action movie. I love action movies. As you could tell, even in this movie, which is basically yeah. a drama, I turned it into an action film. Uh, I love action movies and I love action movies that are really well done. And I think Die Hard is like the best action movie ever made. I know I'm not breaking any new ground there. I'm sure many people say that Die Hard is the most perfect action film. Um, and, and, um, and so those are, I I mean, aside from that, I'm trying to think if there's anything that was really influential for this film. Um, I would just say just Hitchcock in general. So, you know, um, North by Northwest. I mean, I ripped that scene off that you, that you were mentioning. Uh, I could see that. That's um, awesome. (laughs) And, uh, and psycho for its efficiency. Yeah. It's such an efficient film. Um, in general, I think that people don't really, they focus on the fact that it was the first quote unquote, you know, contemporary horror film, but what they don't focus on is that it's, it's a very efficient, independent action film. Speaking of efficient and Alex is going to kill me just like 30 seconds out, you know, there's, there's, I was listening to a a podcast where a writer was saying that he wasn't a showrunner, but even though he didn't make a lot of money, he was able to actually carve out a really cool career where he got to make a lot of his stuff you know, just via his vision. And I mm-hmm. want more, is there an advantage regarding where you are as a filmmaker and having filmmakers of your ilk rather than, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I mean, as opposed to being a filmmaker who is, makes all this money in a big studio system and his or her vision may be diluted in the process. You know what I'm saying? Is there a big, I don't f- know. Ask me in five years. <laughs> okay. That's fair. I'm going to come back at you at five years and I'm going to say, I love these ask movies. Me, ask me in five years. I, I Right now I'm just sort of formatting what it's going to look like. You know, um, I've done a lot of stuff in the last 20 years and, and it's just, those are just really small things and these are much more sophisticated. Uh, and I look forward to new challenges. So I look at like Soderbergh and 
he'll make a $150 million movie and then he'll make a $1 million movie. And so I, I would like to have that kind of career where I'm able to do things that I like, but also, you know, make money doing things that are interesting in a different way. Asher, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate yep. it. Yep. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care.